Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The loudest, the biggest, the brashest. New York is its own character in every play. The bad thing about New York is the pressure. You're always under pressure. Here are the stories about those plays. It's New York Accent with Damon Amendolaro. And Herman was the type of guy that uh, he could tell you something, but you didn't know if it was the truth or not. And he just wasn't the same guy. You know, not that he was, he was probably the same guy, but he knows how to work the room or whatever. As a matter of fact, I remember calling him to congratulate him because I never thought the Jets would hire a black coach. He never called me back. He probably thought I wanted a job or something. And I know a lot of people that were close to him that he had some call back, and it's just a whole different thing. But when he was with the Jets, there was no relationship, and I didn't have one with Paul Hackett. I really didn't go out of my way, and they didn't either. And it was kind of disappointing to me. Oof, and that's just the tip of the iceberg for this episode. As we all know, the Jets haven't been to a Super Bowl in more than half a century. There's plenty of reasons why, but perhaps a string of hollow coaches is the biggest. At least that's the connection if you listen to Wesley Walker. Now, he's one of the greatest Jets receivers ever, having caught passes from 1977 through 1989 in a green and white uniform. He retired as the second leading receiver in franchise history, is a member of their ring of honor, a two-time Pro Bowler, dynamic deep threat. And in our conversation, he was amazingly candid, especially about the coaches. He says Walt Michael judged him too soon, and Joe Walton couldn't connect to the players. He points out that after he retired, Bill Parcells never welcomed any of the former players back to the facility, and Herm Edwards, when he took over, never returned his phone call. He says he never knew if Herm was being authentic or not. Plus, Walker has thoughts on Aaron Rodgers and dreams of a Super Bowl this year that would snap the Jets' drought. This is one of the best we've done here. It's Wesley Walker's New York accent. Wesley, how you doing? It's a pleasure. I'm glad to be here with you today. I'm so glad that you could join us as well. And our viewers on YouTube can see this amazing outfit that you got on. It's a Jets jersey yep. and a hat as well with your with your number on it, 85. But it also has that pink and white stripes around that. Absolutely. And um, um there's a friend of mine, and she's a huge, huge Jets fan. I'm glad to just have her as a friend. A pleasure to meet her. She actually came into Arizona to visit. We went to a Mets and Diamondbacks game together, and uh, we've become really good friends. And she, she, she just sent this to me yesterday, so I'm wearing it to tribute to her. But also, she made um, my wife one, and she has that bling number, shiny stuff. I kind of wanted that, too, but it's <laughs> thing, and so... The next chance, again, I'm hoping to be at uh, three of the Jet games this year. Uh, and I, I will wear it in full force in uh, tribute to her. You also have pink 
glasses on to match the pink on your hat and your jersey. So you are really styling. I like the Wesley Walker drip, as the kids call it. Well, uh, I used to teach uh, uh, for the you know 25 years when I retired from the Jets, and uh, I'd have uh, kids in my gym class, and I'd always wear pink, and they would say, Mr. Walker, you can't wear pink. Blue is the color. But now I said I would wear pink because it's my favorite color. And then they started wearing pink, but pink is my actually my favorite color. And wow. I, I was talking to Liz one day. I wanted to get, I was explaining to her, I've been looking for a pink outfit for my wife and I. I've seen different jerseys made by different companies or people. And matter of fact, I was talking to Mangold's mother and then Darrell Revis' mother, and I couldn't connect with the people to do it. And we just had this conversation. Next thing I know, she puts this in the mail to me for my wife and I, and it's it just was awesome. And I'm just glad to be able to share that with you and her her story also because it's it's, it's it to her. That's really cool. What a cool outfit. What a cool story. And behind you, you have a framed Wesley Walker jersey from your playing days, and that's the old school green and white jerseys, which I frankly think are the best jerseys in franchise history. And now they're going to go back and wear some throwback versions of those classics this season. Are you excited to see your old jerseys being worn again by the Jets? It's funny that you even mentioned that because uh, when they made that announcement, I got a text from Wayne Corbett and he said, hey, I was thinking about you. Hope you're going to come to some of the games and they're going to have these little throwback colors, the Jets jerseys. I, I happen to like it. And this is even more important to me because my son actually made that up for me. Uh, for me to go up on the wall. So I was just proud of that. But I don't care what colors, what style, uh, just the fact that uh, being a part of the New York Jets family, that's the only thing that's ever important to me. So I'm hoping for a great season this year, and uh, I'm actually looking forward to it. And I'm actually looking forward because I have three of my kids with six grandkids that I want to come out to see. But uh, the, I moved out to Arizona uh, a year and a half ago. And uh, so I don't get a chance to get the play for what's really going on with the Jets. But I have an idea from some of my friends and Jet family to try to keep abreast of everything that's going on. Well, I know you'll have to be very well connected to know that Aaron Rodgers is now a member of the Jets and expectations are sky high. So how exciting is that for you to see a future Hall of Fame QB don the yeah, green white? I'm very excited. And, and the funny part, I've, I've always enjoyed playing and I had a hard time following sports. You know, I like playing personally. And I went out to California to show my kids at University of California, Berkeley, where I went to college. Uh, I was inducted in the Hall of Fame. And I'm looking at the athletes there, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know where Rodgers went to Cal. And they had Marshawn Lynch, Deshaun Jackson, and, of course, Ron Rivera, Tony Gonzalez. And I had even no idea. I had no idea Aaron Rodgers was with the Cal. But I've had, uh, I've had, um, you know, um, I tried to explain to people, you know, trying to get to know people because, you know, you see people on TV like Danera Rogers, and, and sometimes he's come off as being a little bit arrogant, some of his philosophies, and you don't get a, a chance to really know the person. And I'd always used to tell coaches, even in trying to evaluate myself or other players, uh, don't depend on a trainer or somebody in the organization. Get to know that player. And now that Aaron is there and, you know, I've watched the hard knocks and things that I've read. And, and this is so important. He's made a point to establish himself with all the players. He'll sit with people at different tables to get to know everybody to bring people together. And that's leadership. Uh, unfortunately for me, I always wondered what that would be like because 
we had a lot of clicks on our team. Guys would have parties and wouldn't invite everybody. We weren't together like that as a family as we projected. So that is one of the things that I've been in awe with, the way the team is coming together. And that comes with the organization, with the coaching staff developing that. And that's something that we didn't have. So I'm actually looking forward to it. And it's nice to see the camaraderie and guys being together. How were the two starting quarterbacks you played with in terms of creating those bonds and camaraderie, Richard Todd and Ken O'Brien? Loved them. Loved them. I had a special relationship with both of them. I've had uh, reporters, and I can think of Gary Myers. One day I was doing some type of a Q&A, and I said that, uh, you know, I never played with Joe Namath. And I said, I will take Kenny O'Brien, Richard Todd, over Joe Namath, uh, uh, John Elwig, and Dan Muriel. And they think I'm crazy. But when you play with guys that you develop a relationship, and you see what they bring to the table and what they're capable of, of, of being. And it's just special when you're there together, being able to train with them, work out with them, and you develop a bond in the relationship. So, and I've had that with all of my quarterbacks. I mean, I had uh, C. Barkowski, who got drafted by the Atlanta Falcons in the number one draft choice, uh, uh, Vince Ferragamo by the Rams. And I had this guy, uh, Joe Roth, who passed away of cancer. He surpassed all their records, was going to be a number one draft choice, and they thought he was going to be the next coming of Joe Namath, and unfortunately, he passed away. Uh, and uh, and Kenny O'Brien reminded me of him, just the relationship I had and the personality. But my guys, and even uh, Matt Robinson, I can think of, who Richard Todd went down one year, he stepped in, and I went to the Pro Bowl that year, became most valuable player, and I will never forget that that's something that a player dreams about when your team not only you go to the Pro Bowl, led the league in uh, receiving yards, and, and I went um, uh, to the Pro Bowl, and that's awesome. But to be voted by your teammates and amongst the uh, league as most valuable player, that's just even just better. But my guys, Kenny O'Brien, Richard Todd, I'll put them over anybody in the league. I'm surprised that you said that the 82 team or the teams that you played on uh, had clicks because it seemed like the 82 team was such a together team that ended up in the AFC Championship game. But even that team had its, its own clicks and not – 100% bonding, huh? Well, the thing with that, we also went on a strike that year. It was strike-shortened season, and, and and we just happened to be on fire. We happened to click, and, and especially when we made it to the playoffs and stuff. And, and But there was a big split with guys crossing the picket line. There was a big, I mean, there was fights between some of the guys and Mark Gassinall. Uh I think uh, Marty Lyons and Joe Clackerad crossed uh, the picket line at first because we all agreed as a team, and I was also acting as a union rep with Marvin Powell. We were trying to keep it together and just trying to get the information as a team. And the, the reason uh, that we were on strike is to try to help protect us to make things better. And and I always think of guys like Kurt Sohn, the free agents, the players that don't get those opportunities and we're trying to develop something for them. And I'm like a team guy, and that's what we were striking for. But unfortunately, we did have clicks on that team. When I first got to the Jets, and that was really disappointing for me, it was hard for me to, you know, to develop uh, relationships with people because people just didn't get to know each other. You know, you had separate clicks, black and white. They did their own thing. And it was hard to even have a trust. And I always wondered why we just didn't have that because I went to University of California, Berkeley, and I was like a black hippie. So the racial thing never mattered to me. But we had this separate team with people where we worked together. We didn't hang out with each other as a team, you know, and that's what I 
always wish, would we have been a better team? Would we have gone uh, much further? I had a friend of mine, Jim Lazisky, said he went to a party and he said, where's everybody out? Some guys just weren't invited. But when you play this game, it's still a business and you're still an athlete and you do what you have to do. And you hope you come to gl- together collectively to, you know, to get to the Super Bowl or get to the playoffs or just to win and just have a team. And you just do that, you know, during the week of practice and and in and, and game. But again, I like what Aaron Rodgers has brought to the table, uh, what the guys are developing amongst themselves. And we really didn't have that. And a lot of people don't really realize it and never really knew that. And there's a lot of times where I wanted to say certain things. And you got to watch what you say. But I just wish we could have developed that more. And I always felt like, man, what would it be like if we were really together as a team? You had some successful seasons in the 80s. We had uh, Joe Klecko on this show a couple of months ago. And, and he pointed out he did not feel like Joe Walton treated him as an adult. And he thought that was a problem in, inside the locker room. And he thought that Joe just wasn't the right leader for the team. Would you point to that same thing as part of the reason why you said there was clicks and maybe not everybody was on the same Wait, page in the 80s? To me, it's important uh as a coach, you should be able to see that with your team and don't want to bring people together. And I remember him making an announcement. He called out two players, and I won't mention the name. How can you have a party and not invite everyone? Uh, Joe Walton, and when I think about him, as you said, I'm glad you brought that up because he is the guy that I'm thinking of. Don't prejudge people because I think he kind of prejudged me. Get to know the player themselves and not worry about what management or what the trainer might think of you personally-wise or what you can bring to the table. And a coach like the Robert Solomon has been able to bring that out and put that together. And that's what a coach should do. We had a great coach in a long night. Well, I didn't really get to know him until really after he retired. He was a different person. He was very standoffish. But I agree with Joe that certain people and certain coaches, they don't treat you like men. And this is a grown man's business. And there are certain things you can and cannot do, but you have to tolerate it because they are running the show. Joe Walton was a great coordinator. There was a time where he motivated me but when he became head coach he had to try to control everything he called the plays uh richie kotai was our coordinator but he never called the play joe ran everything from the front office with people trying to do everything and they got away from what he needed to do as coach but he ran everything and there was a point where he became a demotivator and i don't think he really realized that but a lot of people are uh, left with a bad mouth in their uh you know taste in their mouth and I, I think uh, Kenny O'Brien was a part of that. Uh, Richie Todd, uh, there are certain things that had happened, and you'd have to talk to each one of those guys personally. I know the end of my career in one of my last years, I felt he wasn't in my corner, and there are certain things where you think that he should do or approach you in a certain way, and he didn't do that in a very standoffish, and it just was a turnoff, you know, but there's nothing you can do about that. And I wish uh, we could have had a personal discussion about certain things, but I'm not sure he would have listened to that. A lot of coaches don't. They do what they want to do. You never know. Uh, Herman Edwards was a a teammate of mine. Uh, Paul Hackett was the coordinator there with Herman Edwards. Paul Hackett was a a father to me in uh, in college. And when they came to Jets, they were different people. It's like I didn't even know them. And I remember babysitting Paul Hackett's kids. And it's really ironic. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett is a head coach and I had him on my lap and I remember in New Hampshire with his with his brother uh, David and it would see him on hard knocks and he's like a grown man he looks like he could be a player but I'm happy for him but 
people change and they have their own mindset. Some you don't understand. I had a, a guy, Dan Henning, who put me at another level, but he became head coach uh, down in Atlanta. And there was a high profile uh, player, uh, Mike Ken, all pro guy. He hated them. So we don't know what happens to players. They change their attitudes. And I want people to say the same that I knew them from the beginning. But unfortunately, some people don't do that. And I hope uh, the day I die and people can always say he never changed. But that's something uh, personal. And I, I hope that uh, uh, the coaches uh, will keep this uh, thing going with the New York Jets because I think it's so positive to bring people together. And that's so important. Did you feel like Herm Edwards changed when he got to the Jets? Oh, absolutely. Uh, um, he I, he was my teammate at Cal. And when he came to the Jets, I remember we had a cocktail party. And I was actually doing a pre- and post-game show uh, to try to do interviews. And I, I thought uh, Paul Hackett would at least reach out to him because I was really close to Paul Hackett and his wife, Elizabeth. Wonderful, wonderful people. But I went to visit him uh, way back when he became coordinator in San Francisco. And he changed as a person with his uh, just a little bit on the arrogant side. And Herman was the type of guy that uh, he could tell you something, but you didn't know if it was the truth or not. And he just wasn't the same guy, you know, not that he was, he was probably the same guy, but he knows how to work the room or whatever. But uh, personally, I felt that uh, as a teammate, that as a matter of fact, I remember calling him to congratulate him because I never thought the Jets would hire a black coach. He was wonderful in his press conference. I was very impressed. I called him. He never called me back. He probably thought I wanted a job or something. And I know a lot of people that were close to him that he had some call back. And it's just a whole different thing. But when he was with the Jets, there was no relationship. And I didn't have one with Paul Hackett. I really didn't go out of my way. They did either. And it was kind of disappointing to me. Because you were teammates with Herm back in college at Cal? Yeah. And he ended up leaving Cal. Uh, I think he was there my first two years. And he, he helped recruit me along with Vince Ferragamo. And then yeah, I, I don't know what happened between him and the coaching and, and the old staff itself. And then he ended up leaving, going to San Jose State. Tell me about college when you're a self-described black hippie. You're at Cal, which is a very progress, progressive and at times rebellious campus. You're, yeah. you're, you're there in the 70s, which is a time of tumultuous. Uh, it's an era in, in the country where you've gone through Vietnam, you're still going through Vietnam, the tail end of that. Um, there's a lot of black power movements as well. And California's in the middle of kind of a, a total uh, revolution as well with people moving in and and everything kind of changing. So what is your experience like uh, on the campus at Cal in the 70s? Well, uh, I told uh, UCLA I was going to sign with them, uh, but they wanted me as a running back in the wishbone. And they said I was going to start. I was going to be one of the halfbacks. And I started thinking, man, I'm not a running back and being a hit people. Yeah, block some of these big old guys. And then I told USC I was going to come there because I'm from California and L.A. And uh, and I didn't think I was going to get a, a chance because uh, John McKay was the head coach. His son was there and they had Lance Swan and, and they just made the rule you can start as a freshman. And I said, hey, man, I'm going to play. I'm, you know, I'm good enough to play right now. And I went up to I didn't even know anything about Cal. And I felt that they had lied to me when they during the recruiting process. So this coach, Ron Hudson, who was the recruiter and the wide receivers coach, came out one more time to visit me, and he made this nice scrapbook, and I have it to this day to convince me just to take a trip because I missed them all the, the they had the top athletes that came a blue chip day, and so I went up there. I had Herman Edwards, uh, Vince Ferragamo who recruited me because I was in the same division 
in high school with Vince Ferragamo. We were like rivals banning high school. Even Freeman McNeil went to banning high school. And uh, I just fell in love with the, number one, education was so important to me. It was one of the top schools for that. So that was first and foremost for me. Uh, I just fell in love with just uh, people that could express themselves, black or white or whatever. You and, and I was a guitar player, and I thought I was going to be the next Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> My personality. And then I met some good people while I was up there, and I just fell in love with the campus and uh, the school itself. And I know my parents thought I was out of my mind when I decided to go because they had actually lied to me. But uh, I just went there because of the education and the fact that you could be yourself. And hey, if you want to protest the war, you could do that. My dad served in Vietnam. I mean, I was really angry at uh, Richard Nixon. But I met Richard Nixon in New York City, went to his house and cocktail party. Sat with him at a, a Mets game, one of the nicest guys you can ever meet. And I'm like, oh, my God, here's the guy that I, I hated at one time. But that's the one thing you don't know until you meet someone. You have this R, you see things on TV, you hear about them and personality-wise. Or even if you see something with their opinions on TV, instead of getting to know people, that's another deal. You really have to get to know somebody before you make that decision or assessment of someone. How did you get the invite to Richard Nixon's home? It's funny. Uh, it, he's my best friend. Uh, uh, he played for the Jets. Bruce Harper, one of the best ever to play for the Jets, an uh, all-purpose guy. I mean, I used to love watching. He should have been a starter in the backfield, but he could do it all. Punt returns, kickoff. To, he, I, I have this thing, man. You're the coldest of the cold. You're a bad mofo. I love this dude. He's the godfather of my youngest son. Uh, and we talk to each other often. I go out to see him. He doesn't live too far from my uh, my two kids uh, in, in New Jersey, but his he had a friendship with uh, Richard Nixon's security personnel guy, and he invited us. And I remember I went with Dave Jennings, Nick Bonacani, and um, I can't think of who else. And Bruce Harper, of course. Uh, we went to a cocktail party at his house, and I don't even know why we were there, but I had a chance to go with Bruce to a baseball game. We sat with him and chit chat and. I had a nicest time, and I, I always felt bad. I never told him that. I hated them, you know. <laughs> I didn't think my dad was going to come back from Vietnam, and I was heartbroken. And when he did come back, I was so thrilled. And my dad passed away at the age 40 of a heart attack, and he never got the chance to see me play pro. He didn't even get a chance to see me uh, play in the college. He came up to the school one time to make sure I didn't play hurt just to check on me. Uh, but he was a proud father. Uh, I still remember when I won the city championship, I ran like nine, nine and a hundred. And I, I came back to tell him and he, he missed the race, but he came up there and I said, dad, I just ran nine, nine. And he said, what? He was so thrilled. But, uh, I always dedicated, uh, my career and my success. If it wasn't for my parents, they taught me a value of an education. I don't think I'd be where I am today, but it's also surrounding yourself with good people. And I'm I'm here married uh, to my wife. I have a good support system. I'm, I'm waiting on my granddaughter to come here, which I look forward to every day. And I've been blessed, but it's the people that I have a developed relationships in New York, like Liz Miller, who set this journey up very dear, but I got a, another big fan, Claudio. He runs this Gotham City crew out there. And there's another guy, Frank Ressi, wears my Walker 85 jersey and I try to make a point to come back and see everybody. There's an Alice Klein there. They're big defense, but they've come friends. And so I'm glad to support them in any way I can, too. How would it feel to see the Jets win a Super Bowl? I would love it. And, you know, I've had certain feelings where I felt they've had a chance. 
But this year, I feel that they really have a chance. I have a utmost respect for Robert Sala. I actually went to the Jets training camp last year by myself, and somebody must have told him uh, in the organization. I, I deal with Olivia Sherman there, and she must have told him I was going to be at camp. And, and he came right up to me, but he, he said, he, I was reading something about you, about being blind in one eye, and, and we had a nice chit-chat. And I just happened to be wearing a shirt from a guy, Bruce Reeder, who was another Jet fan that I didn't get the chance to meet. I met his wife now. Uh, but he sent me this all uh, brakes, no gas, uh, all gas, no brakes. And I was wearing that shirt when I came in. And I will never forget Bruce Reeder for doing that for me. But it was ironic that I he came right over to me and I happened to be wearing that shirt at the training camp. But I just had this good feeling about him. And I did a podcast where they're talking about coaches. Who would you have? They've had Parcells. We've had Richie Kotite. And, and I've had Todd Bowles, who I really respected because he always tried to bring the Former players back, welcome there, because we had Bill Parcells where some guys would fight to get in training camp. The Giant players could come in there anytime they wanted, and the Jets players couldn't do that. So that was another thing with the loyalty standpoint. But I don't feel that way with Robert Sala. I like the direction. He's brought these kids together, and you can see it, uh, especially with the leadership with Aaron Rodgers brought to the table to bring guys in together. And that's something I wish we had had. And whether, you know, you had success or not, I think that's just very important. And I think uh, for the first time, the Jets, barring injury, that's always a, a, a big factor, they have a real good shot at it this year. Oh, man. So at training camp under Bill Parcells, old Giants players were allowed on the field, but Jets, the Jets alumni weren't. Nope. Uh, I'm telling you, Bobby Jackson, one of my dearest friends, Made me where I'm today. We used to be some fierce competitors. He was fighting with the, they had this guy, and I wish I could remember his name. He was very rude. Uh, and I remember being at a charity function. He's pushing me in the back. And I'm like, I looked at him. I wanted to hit him. And guys would be fighting. Bobby Jackson would be fighting with him. And it was to the point where fans, even outside the training camp at Hofstra, would see this and would be arguing with him. And it was a joke. And it was like really bad. It, we didn't have carbons. I remember Richie Kotite, and I was on preseason, uh, the post game and uh, uh, pre and post game show. And I remember I brought my family there uh, to practice. And then Kathy Reed, the secretary at the time, said, Wesley, Richie just made this new rule. You have to call 24 hours in advance. And it was almost like an insult. And I also tell Connie Harburg, who, who was a big Jets fan, who worked for the Jets, the first female scout. And I remember there was a point where they regulated her to the stands and she used to be able to come sit with the guys in training camp. We did that all throughout my career. And it's weird. And I know there's some other people that are in the industry working for the Jets and they could be in security or whatever it may be. And uh, somebody comes in and, and they bring their own people in. You're just out the door. And there's no loyalty. And uh, and it does it's not a good feeling, but that's just the business part of it. And that's the part I do not like. But uh uh, I hope they develop more of that to make guys want to come back and feel more welcome. Yeah, I don't blame you for feeling that way. Well, there's a lot of Jets fans that will be watching this and listening to this, and I want to update them. You've always been kind enough to join me on my show on CBS Sports Radio, but for the Jets fans watching and listening right now, tell us about Wesley Walker and how you're doing and how's life right now in California or Arizona, you said. I'm really good. Uh, I'm in Arizona, uh, and I'm a California boy, and I get a chance to, you know, my mom passed away last year. And I'm about three hours and 15 minutes from Palm Springs. And I have a, a first cousin, uh, Dennis, who uh, lives, uh, uh, you know, uh, there in Palm Springs. So I get a chance to go see them and my brother. 
And, you know, I do have some other cousins and relatives, but I'm just really close to now my brother who's left and my, my cousin Dennis. And, and uh, my wife, uh, she's always got something in the fire. And before we left New York, she had a, she developed a business where we were uh, assisting the elderly. And I had a ball doing that. And uh, I have several injuries that I'm nursing. I just had my second back surgery in December, my knee replaced in uh, February, and there are certain days. I've had my neck fused. I've had my back and six levels fused. Uh, I've had, uh, I need to get my other knee done. I've had uh, Achilles done, both my shoulders, and seven days, I'm just hurting. So I used to watch these elderlies all the time, and as you get older, and I'm 68 now, so I'm on that back nine right now, so I'm appreciating everything that I have right now because you never know when it's going to end. I lost to Marvin Powell. Uh, who's my age, I got drafted with, and Jim Sweeney, and they had heart attacks during the same week. And so you're looking uh, towards the future. You know, you don't know how much time you have left. But uh, my thing now with my wife, we developed a business. Like you said, we used to help the elderly where they need assistance with the doctors. Sometimes they they don't have the wills and the trust, and, and they give them the, you know, have to set up the financial parts for their families, or just getting to doctors and whatnot. We're kind of doing the same thing here, but only we're doing it for uh, families with kids. And uh, we're just just really busy. My wife just goes on all these apps and creates this business spur of the moment. And we're spur of the moment. I haven't even been home in three weeks. And uh, there's a house, uh, a real need for people that need their kids taken care of. Or you know, like We have one blind slam. The couple are blind. They've had uh, several operations with their little girls with five and seven. And so I actually took them to a blind convention and, you know, they obviously can't drive them. I just went to the hospital to pick them up uh, yesterday because she was in a lift to go someplace and they, they got blindsided by hitting the back. And so I had to pick them up to the hospital with the kids and, and we take care of their kids during the week. Also, I have my granddaughter, but yet we do a lot of love for families. There's a, a, a lady friend of ours who got a two or three week old baby and a, a two year old and the doc, doc, uh, the husband's a doctor. So they need p- people to house it when they go away or the, their kids being taken care of. We have a lady that's a stewardess and we take the kids overnight or whatever it takes. And a lot of times I'm house sitting cause they don't want to leave the house to anybody and they have these pets or whatever, but we're just so busy. busy. And the thing is with my life and uh, there's a saying by Mark Twain, uh, when you figure out your life, you know, the most important, uh, a time in your life is when you're born and when you figure out what you're here to do. And and I guess I'm here to serve others because that's all I'm doing right now. You know, taking care of kids, being with people, helping people. And I'm enjoying it. It's a lot. I still want to be retired where I could just do my own thing because I love the fish. It's a little bit too hot out here. The last two months, it's been in three digits. Uh, uh, hot heat. I've never had heat like this before in my life. And I like fish and, and I love music. I like to relax. I love movies and every chance to get, but we've been so busy. I haven't been able to do a lot of that, but one day I'm going to really been, be retired because I retired from the jet. I, I was lucky enough to, like I said about my education being number one, fell back on that, got my master's degree out of uh, Fordham uh, University in education, went into teaching, did that for 25 years. And I loved every bit of it with the kids. I do miss that. So I have this special thing in bottle with kids and children. I love doing it. So I'm kind of doing the same thing with other little siblings right now, too, with the kids and children. And I'm loving it. I'm just too busy. Right now, I haven't even been to sleep. You know, I kind of had this lead <laughs> on my granddaughter. I, I just had a little cat nap. And I told my wife uh, yesterday, I am freaking exhausted right now. And 
I'm just getting ready for my granddaughter now. So I was looking forward to seeing you and doing this today. And like I said, this is a tribute to Liz Mueller today. <laughs> well, thank you so much for finding time amongst the, the craziness of your life right now, Wesley. You've always been so generous with your time. So thank you so much for finding it. I appreciate it. And you can call me 24-7. I'll do what I can. You know that. So I appreciate you even having me. I thank you. And when I see, if I do see Herm Edwards, we're going to tell, tell him that he owes you a phone call. Yeah. And it's funny. I have a teammate of mine who calls me anything that because there was an article just written out and they were using his words against him in this scandal. And I went out to Arizona to see uh, Armin with uh, my friend, uh, a teammate in college, Dallas Higman, who's a huge fan. He's an Arizona fan. He coached football and he talks all the time. He could talk football in different things. And he just texted me his article. So we were just talking about that yesterday, too. But I try to keep up and I don't mean to belittle anybody. Uh, you know, I'm always happy. Like my teammate, Joe Klecko, he was like one of my MVPs. This guy was, nobody could cover him, but, uh, you know, one-on-one. Mark Gassineau, uh, Al Toon, Bruce Harper, Fred McNeil, Kenny O'Brien. These guys were all pros and could play with anybody. My guys in practice made me what I am today. And we could play with anybody. We just didn't get those accolades. So I'm glad to be able to promote my, my teammate and my fans and my friends and my Jets family, period. And I'm just loving life, and I've just been really, really blessed, and I'm thank God for that. A former first-team All-Pro, multi-time Pro Bowler as well, and a member of the Jets' ring of honor. He'll be coming back to New York for a couple of games this year as well. The great Wesley Walker. Wesley, you're the best, man. Thank you so much. Okay. There's three games in a row. I'll be back here in New York in November 3, December 11th. I love it. Yeah. Man, that was great. Walker did not hold back. I mean, you you rarely get that type of candid conversation from former players about their former coaches, but he talked about Joe Walton, which is echoed by Joe Klecko, who joined us much earlier in the series, a couple of months ago when he was announced to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He talked about Walt Michael. He also talked about Herm Edwards, who was obviously taken over the Jets after Walker retired, and Bill Parcells was kind of untouchable around the Jets and the Giants. So that was really interesting stuff. And it's a shame that Walker and and that generation of the Jets never went further. They went to that 82 AFC Championship game, but by the time they got to the mid to late 80s, they really had a truly dynamic offense that could put up points with the best of them. And Klecko talked about this a couple of months ago with us about how that 86 team was incredible and they started the season red hot and it looked like we could be on a collision course for an all New York Super Bowl as the Giants were fantastic that year. But the wheels came off late in the season as Klecko and others got injured and then the Jets faltered in the playoffs relatively early. But you you think about those 80s Jets offenses, Ken O'Brien under center, who was never Dan Marino or John Elway of the 83 class, but he could sling it. Wesley Walker and Al Toon, one of the best wide receiving duos in the the NFL. And then you had Freeman McNeil and others in the backfield, along with tight end Mickey Shuler. And they could really put up points, but they were inconsistent. And as we just mentioned, had some injuries and Then Joe Walton at at head coach really sunk them seemingly. And it was really interesting to have Wesley Walker be so honest about all of that. But that's what made it great. You have to love it. And that's the type of stories we've been aiming for for a long time around here on New York Accident. Have been fortunate to have so many of them. 
and Wesley certainly stands out amongst them. But boy, we've had some great conversations here on this series. And if you've enjoyed this one, there's plenty more where this came from. So you can zoom back, rewind, and take a listen to all of these episodes of New York Accent, where we focused on the best of New York athletes, those that have been born here and played here, broadcasted here, broadcasters from here. It's been a little bit of everything, including some actors and entertainers. But this has been one of the great conversations that we've had Wesley Walker here on this episode of New York Accent. You can always subscribe to the podcast by simply hitting that subscribe button. That means you'll get notifications when a new episode is up. And this episode, along with every other one, is available on YouTube as well. Go to the WFAN YouTube channel to check them out there or just simply search New York Accent in YouTube and you'll see that playlist as well. Plus, it is good to have those Jets jerseys coming back. Oh, those beautiful green and white ones from the 80s should be their standard jersey. They're just so clean. They're so simple. They look so dynamic. They look just tremendous. And I'm glad that they're at least dusting them off for a couple of of games this year. And I think when we see them on the football field in regular season form, they are going to absolutely pop on that screen. Thanks to executive producer Bryce Gelman. I'm DA Damon Amendolari. You can usually catch me weekday mornings right here on CBS Sports Radio, the Odyssey national arm of things, national coverage. Check me out there. And once again, this is New York Accent. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. This is an original Odyssey podcast.